When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's on the upcoming MLB playoffs or the start to the NHL season, with competitive odds, the best live in play, and more ways to get into the game, you can make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Head to sportsinteraction.com SDPN or download the app to get started. 19 and over, please play responsibly. September is here and it's time to talk about self-care. When it comes to making an impression, proper grooming is essential to looking and feeling your best when you walk into a room. That's why the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped, are committed to helping men around the world walk and talk with some swagger this season with the best grooming tools on the market. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and enjoy this offer. 20% off plus free shipping with the code CJShow at manscaped.com. Don't neglect your beautiful self and get right with Manscaped. For the sleekest version of yourself, by the way, Manscaped has you covered from head to toe, starting off with this bad boy, the Beard Hedger Trimmer. Look, I don't have a beard that's as luscious and great as CJ's, but, you know, the smaller beard, this Hedger, we get along just fine. With one guard and 20 adjustable lengths, this device is the perfect travel companion to take care of your mane wherever you are, mane. So get right with that. Also, the Performance Package 4.0 has a lot of great stuff. The Lawnmower 4.0 is in there. The Crop Preserver uh, Groin Deodorant. The Crop Reviver Groin Spray as well is great. The uh, Manscaped Boxers 2.0, great for men of all ages. Enjoy the Performance Package. Once again, Manscaped supports the Chris Johnston Show so much, they provided an exclusive offer for you, the listener, or the watcher on YouTube, 20% off plus free shipping with the code CJShow at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. You just have to use the code CJShow. Feel like yourself again and take charge of your life with Manscaped. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. I promise we will get to hockey on uh, this Monday edition of the CJ Show. It's Ask, it's Ask CJ Day. I know I said we we're going to have it last Thursday. Timing wouldn't permit that. We're going to get to questions today. Uh, we will get to some news and notes around the Hockey League. Michael Andlauer, now the owner of the Ottawa Senators. Some Calgary Flames stuff. But CJ, I would love to know, uh, as I know you, just like myself, enjoy Football Sunday. Where were you when you heard about the biggest news of the day, which was uh, the confirmation of a relationship between Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. I, I laugh because it's funny how this story has, has, has taken the world by storm. Apparently do you even, did you know they announced the Super Bowl halftime show performer in the wee hours of the morning? You might've forgotten about that completely swallowed away uh, by Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift dating. Yeah. I was on my couch in my living room watching the game. I, I have, I actually have Mahomes and Kelsey on my, my one fantasy team. So uh, if, if I got a chance to watch the Chiefs play, that, that's a fun, fun game for me fantasy-wise. And so I was extra pumped because I knew as soon as she was there that they were going to find a way to get him a TD in that game. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty safe bet anyway, given the way that the, those two kind of roll. But, um, yeah, what, what a thing, man. And that was obviously all over my IG feed. I'm sure the – Sure, the X Files were lighting up with all that stuff too. I wasn't really on Twitter much yesterday, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, it just made me think: like, what happens if she ever came to an NHL arena? Like, what happens? Because it was such. You're right. It's such a big story. Like, I, I we're not even going to throw out a potential name of a player because it's not so much important who her partner might be. But like, I mean, I guess it maybe it would if it was a front line. Someone might get a little more attention. But imagine Taylor Swift at an NHL game like that. 
that would go bananas. I mean, it's not like she's never been to an NHL game. And, like, you could even go back in time. There was an ad for tickets done by the Nashville Predators, and Taylor Swift is in the ad. Uh, someone posted – actually, this is another reason why we're doing this segment. A few people sent us Taylor Swift-related questions for Ask CJ, and I swear there is a gif where it's it's her and I think it's Jimmy Fallon, and Fallon is wearing, like, an Islanders jersey, and they're, like, doing some weird little dance in the crowd or something. But, like, Taylor Swift to hockey – I mean, maybe now, if she shows up now with, like, Travis Kelsey – Maybe everyone loses their minds, but like, I don't know. You're right. Maybe it would still would, but it's not as if like it would be this completely new thing for Taylor Swift to show up to hockey. Like, I think, I think she likes hockey. I'm inclined to think so. I I mean, I have no idea. Um, But I will say this is, this thing played out so publicly too, right? Like I remember, you know, Travis Kelsey talking about trying to get the, the, the wristband to her when he went to her concert at Arrowhead. Uh, a few months ago and then all of a sudden there's a little murmurs that maybe they're together and then you get the ultimate confirmation uh i saw one of the nfl insiders i was remember which one said like i don't even like are we being punked here like no one even knows for sure i guess if it's real but you know i saw them leaving the stadium together last night on on uh, ig or whatever it was so and we live in we live in a strange time i mean taylor swift's probably the biggest celebrity pop figure in the world right now i mean based on the that that tour and all the money and then you know, Kelsey is one of the best NFL players. Obviously, the NFL is the king among North American sports. This is this is a true power couple. It's hilarious, though, to see these two worlds collide. Like, there are people – I saw the screenshot on from Reddit this week where in the Taylor Swift Reddit, they are debating who the greatest tight end of all time is. I don't know if it was Photoshop or not, but it's funny. Like, the worlds are, are converging. Like, I'm sure there are Kansas City fans and football fans who are tapping into Taylor's discography. And there are Taylor Swift fans who are thinking, oh, Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. What's that duo like? It's it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. Well, and, I, and I saw people already saying, like, what's their breakup song going to be like? Because oh. we, know she's, we know she's famous for documenting the uh, trials and travails of her love life. Not that oh. I'm predicting a breakup. I don't know. I mean, look, I, this is this is way beyond my purview. We're probably like two minutes deep longer on Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey than we should be. But I get um, that. But but anytime you get to sound like a human on these topics that have nothing to do with your actual purview, that's when gold shows up. So we have to do this. We have to try. <laughs> we have to try. <laughs> well, I mean, look at they both have crazy lives. It's gonna be it's gonna be hard for that relationship to last, just given the demands of their professions and the travel and all that stuff. So. Maybe maybe she'll be writing a story about like, you know, writing a song about watching the Chicago Bears get their ass kicked one day or something. If we see <laughs> the next album a song titled Travis, we don't need to figure out what that song is about. Here, here, for sure. But I will say this though: imagine if, and I'm and I'm just like you, I'm not going to put a player there. But if Taylor Swift was dating an NHL player, I'll even add this in a Canadian market. What would it, I imagine what it would be like for PR teams, especially for Canadian teams, having to deal with their player dating a mega superstar? That is like well beyond their not just jurisdiction, but like beyond their manpower at that point. How would we handle that? Like, would we let that be a big story? Is are yes. we gonna look like is Overdrive gonna <laughs> talk about it? And Jeff O'Neill be like, this is a distraction because someone's going to do it. Someone would do it. Oh. I mean, I'm not saying it's O-Dog. I don't know who it would be. And like, we're deep in hypotheticals here, but it would be a big story. And I'm guessing for that PR department, like they wouldn't know what to do. All of a sudden, like People Magazine is putting in like requests for interviews or, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you're getting like a different portion of the the media uh, conglomerates coming at you for for access or for interviews. Um, I mean, we saw a little bit, it's funny, it didn't involve a relationship, but Matthew Kachuk became sort of a big enough player in, in last year's playoffs that that I saw him getting some sort of attention from the maybe non-traditional hockey media. So it happens a little bit, but I, I would hope that whoever that was, whatever that was, especially, I mean, look at, they clearly want to be public, right? I mean, she, yes. she didn't have to be at the game, you know, like I feel like they are comfortable with this being kind of what it is. So if, if it was the same circumstances with a hockey player and that person wasn't looking for privacy, then, then why not? I mean, they approach it differently, right? Like Morgan Riley's in sort of a Canadian power couple with, with Tessa Virtue. And it's funny, actually, on the opening day of Leafs training camp, he was asked the question about sort of what he's learned about competition from his partner. 
And he's like, you know, I don't talk about this much basically. And, but he said, needless to say, I've learned a lot, but you know, he, the way they've chosen that is, is they're largely keep their, their business between them. And I think that's fine too, um, because they have big social media channels. If they wanted to blast it out there, I feel like Taylor and, and Travis want to blast it. So if it was with a hockey player who wanted that attention. I mean, I don't think we'd be ready for what it would be so strange because we just don't get those kind of stories too often in hockey. I think we'd almost celebrate that player because they want to make themselves public. They would want to put themselves out there. Like the only other player I could really think of in my time who ever wanted to do anything like that was PK Subban. And now that he's retired, he could just do whatever he wants. But if we had an NHL player today who would willingly, you know, I mean, Look, I'm sure there are a lot of NHL players who would want to date Taylor Swift, but they would willingly want to engage with the PR machine behind it where you have to be public in a certain way. Like, we as NHL people would be looking at that player and being like, well, if he wants to be public with this, like, imagine how we might feel about other stuff. And maybe it's not the same thing, but, like, the idea of an NHL player wanting to be front and center in public, it is something that we would consider strange because NHL players do not have that in their DNA for the most part. You're absolutely right. And, that, and that's where the distraction conversation inevitably would follow in some portion of that team's media, I would think. Just because it is unusual. I mean, way back when, this is this is a freaking history lesson. We need like a little song for this. But when Wayne Gretzky got together with Janet Jones, now Janet Gretzky, I mean, she was a pretty semi-high profile actress. And they, they had almost like a royal wedding style wedding. Like it was like broadcast live on television. And, and she, I remember crazy dress with like a 30 foot train on it. Like it was, it was, it was a pretty, it was a significant event um, when those two got together and, and were quite public. So, I mean, it, I guess every couple generations it happens. You're right. PK Subban. I'm trying to remember the name of his, his ex, but she was the skier. Uh, no, uh, Lindsay Vaughn. Lindsay Vaughn. You know, they were pretty public about the relationship. So it does happen from time to time. Mike Conry and Hillary Duff. Uh, yes. Once upon a time. Yes. So it's not it's not as though it's completely uncharted territory. I guess what it is though is right now we're talking about probably the biggest individual celebrity on earth uh crossing into the sports realm. Uh insider Jay Money asks, uh describe the Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey rumors in NHL terms. Hmm. <laughs> well <laughs> I I mean <laughs> you, what do you do? You go to you, – you'd have to be like – I guess it would be equivalent to like dating someone on the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm thinking of a team a team that's won or been to multiple championships in recent years. So the Lightning might be the closest thing to the Chiefs right now. And yeah. then obviously Kelsey's one of their biggest stars. So pick one of the three or four biggest stars of Tampa that – I don't know if any of those people are single uh, and end up with, with her. Maybe it's something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate you trying. <laughs> so yeah, it's like if you know Nikita Kucherov or or something ends up with Braden Point shows up with with Taylor Swift. That's probably the closest we could get. That is pretty good. Uh, someone even asked like Taylor needs to buy an NHL team, uh, but which one? Uh, you've been asked also in the co- in the comments. Uh, what's your favorite song and era from Taylor Swift? Like people went in on the Taylor Swift part of the Ask CJ prompt last night. I I love a lot. I, I think All Too Well might be my favorite song. Mm. My favorite Taylor song. But I I like a lot of them, honestly. I, I'm, I've, I've put this out there before. I, I'm, a, I'm a Swifty. Yes, you, you have put that out there. And almost every not time to the degree, do... Not to the degree I'm going to spend two grand on tickets when she's in Toronto next year. But I do, uh, I do appreciate it. it gets a, there's a fair bit of Taylor on my Spotify, like most played songs. Do you have a favorite Taylor Swift era? No, I don't think I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the era is basically just it's basically like asking what your favorite album is. Like if you have a I favorite, know. yeah. But I think I feel like to have a favorite era, it's probably more the people that grew up with her. Yes. Like I was already I was already an adult when when she came around. So like I feel like I don't have the same attachment in that way, but. For some people, it's probably like, well, I loved Taylor when I was in high school or, you know, when I was in college going through this. Like, I feel like I feel like you have to be younger to, to have a certain attachment to the era. Okay. All right. One more thing before we get to DB. So if Taylor Swift, if you were essentially too old for Taylor Swift to appreciate that era or that time, who was like the pop star growing up for you that you oh, were wow. like completely enamored with? 
I don't, I was never really into pop stars. I would say like as a kid, okay. like I, I was definitely got into like a lot of bands. Like I loved Radiohead for a big period of time, saw them in concert and they were sort of popular in my high school slash university days. Um, but I was never, boy bands were a big thing kind of in that era, right? Like Backstreet Boys were huge when I was in high school, but I just wasn't, and Spice Girls, and you know, it's not like, and it's not that I didn't, I didn't hate those bands, but I wasn't obsessed with them, if you know what I mean. I, I just kind of, they just kind of existed somewhere out here for me. So I was, I was into more moody kind of music. I, I went through definitely an emo phase. There's a band called Dashboard Confessional. I, I really liked it for a period of time, yes. way back when. Um, but the, the good news is, I could still listen to Radiohead. And and I, I I don't regularly I like the tragically hip as a kid obviously, um, and still you know good summer tunes still from the hip if you're ever somewhere on a dock and still still fits right hits right. Love a band called the National still going. Saw them in concert uh, recently a couple weeks ago in Toronto. But uh, I don't know I know I don't I never loved the biggest pop star or, or in the world I don't think. Let me let maybe me Taylor Swift. May, let me change it then. What about Celebrity Crush? That's close enough. It doesn't have to be like a singer. It could be just like, you know. Celebrity crush. You might as well be it's that. It might have been Posh Spice, actually. That's interesting you say that, considering what you said about boy and girl bands. Well, it's one thing to be obsessed with the music, another thing to be attracted to someone or to have the crush aspect. I mean, Posh Spice, I mean... Wow. I don't even know. Why am I even answering this? This you is should, just nothing. Yes. I'm glad nothing you did. That could come you from like this. the Spice Girls. I like this. I was, <laughs> but I was legit going to ask you, uh, which like Spice Girl were you like crushing on the most? And you answered that for me. Posh Spice. Which Spice Girl would have been your choice? I mean, oh man. Uh, I like, I, I mean, I wasn't like a big like Spice Girls person growing up, but like my sisters might have been into them and, Maybe I, I sporty spice was cool. I always thought sporty spice was cool. Yeah, shout out. If Belson. you were if you were of a certain era, like age in that era, though, you would have had an answer to that question. Absolutely, because that was that was like actually a thing that was discussed. And not in like a I don't know. It was because they were I think quite intentionally. You know, I, maybe the way they were marketed is they're all sort of individual and different, right? And so it was sort of it was almost like what. Yeah. Anyway, this is this is preposterous. Like this might be the end of the podcast. <laughs> I love this. Uh, we will get to other NHL topics uh, after uh, you could bet that. Can we get to any so far? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. I'm glad we did that. Um, let's get to DB, and we'll get to some actual serious hockey talk. Let's do this. Welcome to You Can Bet That. David Bastel is here with us. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Uh, DB, we're going to take a look at the Central and the Metropolitan Division. Yeah. Who do you think is going to come out of the Central this year? Well, heavy favorites, of course, the Colorado Avalanche. They're also Stanley Cup favorites, as you guys know. Uh, it's almost like uh, a make goods on next of a last season is what a lot of odds makers are looking at. Currently at Sports Interaction at 226 for Colorado. Uh, a three for the Dallas Stars in Minnesota in there with a respectable six, 6.2, somewhere in that range. Those are the three playoff teams, I guess they're deeming them, uh, Chris. I, I, I don't know. Is this is this a, a year that the Avalanche are healthy and they kind of, you know, uh, show teams what they probably should have done last year? I think it is. You know, for me, though, they're still down – depth class from where they were when they won their cup two years ago. Yep. Um, you know, that's just a salary cap. It's not mismanagement or anything like that. They, they lost good players. I know they, they've made some more moves to try to, to fill in around the superstars that, that, you know, help them win that, that cup championship. But I, I don't see them a tier above everyone. And so, you know, I, I don't like going with the favorites in this category. So I, I think I'm more inclined to actually lean toward the Dallas here. If, if I, if I was, putting my my thoughts somewhere it doesn't mean that the colorado might not win another title ultimately but i also as as you know from the the, the themes i question how much teams really care about winning the division at Correct. times especially the, especially those that have had a lot of bigger success they, they know what the big picture has in store for them so db what about the metro 
you know what? Very similar to the Central. It's all about the Carolina Hurricanes. Same sort of odds, a 2.8. New Jersey's in there at about 3-1. to one. New York Rangers, 4-1. to one. Looks like a three-horse race for the most part, Chris. But uh, you know what? A lot of, lot of people pointing at the Hurricanes saying, you know what? Put up or shut up kind of thing. I, I get that for sure. I mean, this is this is such a toss-up, right? It went down to pretty much the last day of the season for this division last year. This is a big New Jersey Devils podcast because we were in early on their <laughs> on their rise. So I, I want to be true to them. But but yeah, you know, I wonder about the Rangers with the new coach bump. You know, Peter Laviolette to me is someone who's had a lot of success, especially early in his tenures with his teams. You know, maybe this is the year that they uh, jump up and score someone uh, a division title. You know, between this podcast and the Steve Dangle podcast, there's a lot of New Jersey fans. A lot of New Jersey love. Here. I know, I know. I get I it everywhere. So. And every time I come on with you guys, I got to get myself a huge jersey. I, I, <laughs> I might have to do the same. Uh, don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Thank you, DB. Thanks, guys. As promised, CJ. Hockey Topics. Let's start with the Ottawa Senators and uh, Michael Andlauer uh, officially being uh, named the uh, Senators owner. Uh, that came late last week. We're still in the early days of the Andlauer era. I keep using the word era. Your thoughts on Michael Andlauer, your thoughts on how we uh, spoke to the media late last week and uh, the direction that he wants to take the Senators. Well, it's pretty exciting times in Ottawa. I mean, it's it's hard not to see the the enthusiasm that, that pops by having an owner like Michael Allen, I mean, someone, you know, known in NHL circles, very well respected. I think that that's partly how he emerged from a pretty crowded bidding um, race to, to get the senators. If you recall all the, the celebrities that were in the mix once upon a time for this team, but, but, you know, they end up with uh, a Canadian owner, someone who, who had a, a chunk of the Montreal Canadians for more than the last decade and who's, you know, knows how to do business, I think, with Gary Bettman and at the level of, of the NHL's Board of Governors. And, and, you know, given how things ended with Eugene Melnick, uh, who you never questioned his, his love of the Senators, his desire to want to bring a Stanley Cup to Ottawa, I mean, I think that the fact remains over time, they, they were on a shoestring budget, that, that there were cash flow challenges with that organization. They, they had to make do with less at times. Uh, in terms of just having a smaller front office scouting staff and and the rest. And and you get the sense with this new group in place headed by Michael Anlauer that they're going to make sig- a significant investment in the team. And, and, you know, it starts, I think, you know, one thing that Anlauer mentioned is he wants to build out the front office a little bit. You know, I think it's going to take some time for that to happen. You know, it seems as though there's a role in some way, shape or form for Daniel Alfredson, but another thing that's not, you know, being unveiled here in the first couple of days, of, of his tenure running the team. Uh, and then ultimately, I think the biggest question with this organization is, is can they get a new arena uh, somewhere downtown, somewhere where I think that it's, it's more attractive for people to, to go to games on a Tuesday night rather than battling that, that traffic out to Canada and back. Um, and, you know, that, that also is going to take some time. But if you're, if you're the centers right now, like this must feel great because there was some bleak days for that organization. But here they are with, with a lot of intriguing young players most of them sign long-term on the roster and an owner who I think is going to, to up, up the level of and the standard of where they've been considerably. Well, well, I guess the only thing you're worried about if you're the Ottawa Senators, I mean, beyond the arena and all that, is the whole Shane Pinto situation. Uh, we don't have any more updates on that, do we? No, because it's it hasn't changed much, right? Like the dynamic with this one, there's always different elements to negotiation. I, I don't get the feeling there's any bad blood here or anything. It's not as though one side saying, we'll only pay you this much. And the other side saying, no, it has to be this much. I mean, it, it's it, it, the standstill is really brought on by the challenges the senators have. I mean, that alone tells you something, right? The senators are going to be a team right at the salary cap ceiling this year. And I don't know when that was last the case. I know they've been there at, at some points during Eugene Melnick's time as the owner, but it's been a number of seasons since they were, you know, spending, you know, to the max of what they can. And I think that that also underlines, you know, the, the value of, of, of a well-heeled ownership group, um, you know, one with maybe a little bit more cash flow, and, and you know, I think that they recognize too that that you need to build into a winning team to ultimately get the the, fri- the the franchise's overall finances back in a stronger place. And so, you know, the Pinto one seems to be more a waiting game. Um, still, don't believe Ottawa is going to be looking to trade him, uh, but they might have to make another move or two in order to free up the cap space to to, to basically get him signed. 
and be cap compliant by the start of the season. So, you know, they still got a couple weeks to do that uh, before a regular season game has been played. But, you know, this is a little different. I mean, quite often when you get, you know, we're what, almost getting towards a week into cap. And if there's an unsigned RFA, it wasn't around. Usually it's because there's a big difference in what, um, you know, the player thinks he should be paid and what the team's willing to pay. I think, I think that there's a general understanding where the, basically where the next contract is, but the center's got to create room to, to, to sign it. Uh, one other Sens question I have is more general, but with Michael Landlauer in place, I and you, you had already mentioned that they expect to build out that front office, but I can't help but think of Pierre Dorian and, and, and his future with the organization. I'm sure performance for this season will play into it, but I can't help but think of, of, of Pierre's future with the organization with new ownership in tow. Yeah, when you get a new boss, no matter what level you're at, it's it's a natural question, right? If 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 they're changing the GM, we'd be talking about the coach because you'd say, oh, we, you know, this coach wasn't hired. I mean, look at Sheldon Keefe in, in Toronto after Brad Trilliving took over. There was, you know, quite a period there where it was uncertain, you know, whether Keefe would be back. I think much like, though, the fact that Keefe did earn an extension and, he, and he's got some stability in Toronto, I do think there's a possibility for that to happen for Pierre Dorian in Ottawa. Um, he's going to have to be open to change because there, there will be change with the new owner there. You know, the fact that that owner has expressed an interest in bringing in and expanding the front office. So, he, you know, it's going to have to be with someone else there. And then I think, you know, what Michael Anlauer sees, you know, now that he's behind the curtain from Pierre Doran, I mean, this is like a, another job interview all over again. I mean, uh, this would be a great year for the senators to break through and make the playoffs. I would think if you're in, in, in Dorian's shoes, just because, you know, he has been the GM that's, that's, you know, oversaw the trades of Mark Stone and Eric Carlson, among other decisions, you know, he, he's been the GM that's been in charge as they've restocked their, their prospect pool. But, you know, they're now at the point, I think that they're expecting results there, even though they had an interesting training camp. I don't know if you took note of this, Julian, but no one, including Pierre Dorian wanted to make any proclamations. Like there was no, this team is going to be a playoff team. I mean, I heard Brady Kachuk kind of, dance around the subject that when their camp opened, I, I saw Dorian himself who, who in the past has said things like the rebuild is over. You know, he's, he's been good about giving you that one media clip that, that kinds that, that tends to hang around uh, for months at a time, but they were a little quieter in terms of what they were saying publicly about what the season, what the expectations are for the season. But I, I think it's clear, you know, that there's, there's hope that they're really going to be in the playoff mix and ultimately make the playoffs. A uh, tough ask in the division. Uh, we we know that, but you know someone's got to do it, and they've got to do it eventually. And so, when it comes to Pierre Dorian, I think that you know what Michael Landlauer. I mean, he's been around the team, so he's obviously got a feel for Dorian. But you know, now they're working together essentially every day. You know how that goes, and then ultimately what strides the team takes, and and you know even how, for example, Dorian manages the Pinto situation. I mean, all these things I think will go into that calculation about whether he's he stays on as a GM long term or not, and. Uh, you know, every day is a tryout right now for Pierre Pierre Dorian, and and I mean that's that's kind of the reality of this business. Um, not very many people are super stable in their jobs. I mean, it's just just a fact of the matter that that performance um, is 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 required to 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 not be looking for work. Okay, let's go from Ottawa to Calgary. I, I know I'm in the city, so I'll provide a lot of context here, but I'm still curious about your thoughts. I'll start with the captaincy thing because it seemed entering the weekend last week. Uh, that Rasmus Anderson and maybe some other targets, they would look to be the guys at, at the front of the captaincy debate. Michael Backlund, of course, would be there too. It's just that the contract, that is what is a big thing holding everything up. And now all of a sudden, uh, we hear more and more reports of, of uh, you know, the discussion being had about him staying. Even uh, his agent uh, confirmed to me uh, on Friday morning that that discussion is being had. And now he, he seems like the favorite. Jonathan Huberto went out of his way to say that Michael Backlund should be captain. It really should be him, in all honesty. But I don't think this could happen without a new contract. But it's it. There's this growing sense, at least just talking to some of my colleagues, that some kind of contract is going to be coming up within the next few days. I would love to know your your thoughts on on what's going on in Calgary with how they might be handling this captaincy thing. Well. I mean, it's it's really a Michael Backlund more than a captaincy thing. I mean, this this is why I do know from talking to front office people over the years, like sometimes they really hate when the whole captaincy debate gets going in the media because obviously it, it's a very important symbolic gesture from an organization, but sometimes it can complicate stuff for, for lack of a better way of putting it, right? And, you know, really, 
I found the whole backland situation interesting that, you know, he was very clear at the end of last season that he didn't really want to engage in, in contract extension talks over the summer, just because you've got someone who, who has a legitimate chance to spend his entire career in one city. And that, you know, that's, that's awfully rare in the NHL. I mean, that, that, that basically never happens. You can understand if you're in backland's skates though. I mean, he wants to win a Stanley cup and, and he, probably had a lot of questions at the end of last season about the direction of the organization. He wouldn't be alone for that and reason to doubt it. And so this is a, it's gotta be, this decision must be weighing on him. I would think just because, you know, you, you contrast the fact that you, you've been in one place so long, you would be, I mean, I'm with you. I think on July 2nd, had the flames just signed Michael Backlund to, you know, a couple of year extension, there wouldn't be much debate about the captaincy thing. Maybe they would have given them a C on the same day. Who knows how, how they might've handled that, but, you know, now you get into training camp and you've got these other players on expiring deals and, and you know, there's there's a lot of different sort of factions about way, ways it could go. I mean, I don't think, truthfully, the captaincy is as important as figuring out what they're doing with these players, right? I mean, I think I think one falls in line with the other, but it's all kind of mixed together in this stew now. And so, you know, maybe the fact that those conversations are happening is, has put, put on hold the, the need to stitch a C on someone's sweater. Um, for the time being, uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes, though. The fact that Michael Backlund's open to those discussions, though, I think certainly changes the, the way that, that the Flames front office and, and the coaching staff would be looking at that decision. I feel as if because of Backlund's contract situation, the, the discussion of the, of the C and the contract, there's two C's in the situation. They're linked. There's there's no way you could separate the two now, because if if Michael Backlund gets the C it means he's going to stay for some time. We were talking about in the last episode, you want a captain with some continuity. And while I understand that Backlund has more or less been a de facto captain already in that locker room, I don't know how you feel about having a guy wearing the C and then you're still worried about his future. I was talking about with a colleague yesterday. It's probably going to, it could be a situation where Michael Backlund, they announce the contract, he holds up the jersey, he turns it around, there's a C on the front. Like, you know he's going to be that guy for the next few years. But now... With, with everything kind of going on in terms of those discussions, could you imagine if before the start of the season, the Flames say it's Rasmus Anderson who is the captain? What's the first thing we're going to think of? Oh, then how are those contract talks going with Michael Backlund? We're not going to think of them in a positive light. I think the situation has maybe, presented itself. Go ahead. I just said maybe it's best to just go with no captain until everything's resolved. But then at that point, you're going back on what you were saying throughout the offseason. When Craig Conroy was hired, one of the first things he said was that there was going to be a captain. You can't have all of that talk in the offseason and say, we're going to have a captain. It's a priority for us. And then you realize the situation is too difficult. And then you say you can't have a captain. I mean, maybe you could, right. but like that would be a very, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if a mess would be the right word, but like, I don't know if that's the right way to go about things. They're having you're meetings getting- about this, they're having discussions about this. You're inadvertently backed into a corner now by your own words, right? Because you've, you've I mean, this is, again, this is why it's probably best to say as little as possible, as much as we hate to hear that from our side of the, the job. But the, the more you say, then sometimes all this gets kind of thrown out on the front line for everyone to kind of have an idea of where the dynamics are uh, more than if, if everything was held behind the scenes. I'll say this. You know what would be pretty bad? I mean, look, Craig Conroy, first-time GM, great dude. You said that you did not want to repeat with the Elias Lindholm situation with Johnny Gaudreau, and you have all these pending UFAs to start the year, and you have no captain. What does that say for Craig Conroy if he's saying all that stuff and none of that comes to fruition? Like, that doesn't look good. Something has to be done with that. Right. And I actually noticed that Lindholm uh, confirmed what we said on this pod over the summer, that there was not much talk uh, all summer long. I thought uh, about you when he said it, brother. I thought so, about you the whole time. People not that we need, need a be- confirmation. We didn't need no, confirmation. But, but, but no, I think there are some people who were very quick to think that, okay, Elias Lindholm is leaving, but you were on that train that said, oh, no, like, let's, he's in the middle of all this. I think you deserve your flowers on that because I think you reported that as accurately as you could. And that's not yeah. shit to anyone else. I think you deserve your flowers for that. Well, and he still, I think he still wants to stay. It's just, are they going to pay him what he's worth? I mean, go in circles, go in circles, go in circles. And then now, you know, if you're the team and you start getting this close to the season, whether whether you're looking at Lindholm, whether you're looking at Nylander in Toronto, uh, perhaps the Winnipeg guys fall in the same position with Shifley and Hellbuck, you're like, well, let's see how let's see how these guys play now. Because crazy as it sounds, even if we're talking about tenured NHLers with lots of accomplishments already, 
how you perform in that platform season does typically to some degree influence what the next contract looks like. Okay. Uh, the only other big uh, story out of Calgary in the last few days, really, uh, it was really interesting to see Nikita Zadorov uh, speak to the media about uh, his comments on a, on a YouTube uh, show with a Russian journalist about the invasion of Ukraine. There's not many players are, are, are speaking out against it or, or, or trying to talk about it publicly. We don't have to spend long on this, but it, I just thought it was interesting that Zadorov did this and he went out of his way to say, hey, you know what, I've been educating myself on this. And, and it turned into a discussion topic for a couple of minutes with us in the media. Uh, Randy Sportak from the from the Hockey News uh, spoke with him exclusively before this all unfolded and got some thoughts from him. But I'm just curious from your vantage point, just the fact that a player would use his platform to talk about this. Right. And I remember in the early days of the invasion of Ukraine that, that he stood, he, you know, he, he put an Instagram post up, you know, one of the few basically supporting Ukrainians. And, you know, Nikita Zadorov, I saw him that, I don't know if it was Randy's interview with him or somewhere else, but it mentioned he knows he can't go back to Russia now. Like that, that you know, when he, he says these things, it, you know, it really, you know, there's some ramifications for his personal life there, where obviously the, the place where he's from, where he's got family and friends still living. And, you know, now he basically lives in Florida in the off season, uh, where there was obviously a pretty big Russian community. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's courage to stand up to, in this case, really, what I think would be if, if you're from Russia, if you're an athlete, a hockey player in particular, elite hockey player from Russia, there's a certain pressure to, um, you know, be on the other side of this. And so I think it, it takes real courage to, to stand in the face of your country, your countrymen, uh, probably some, some of your colleagues in the NHL, you know, have bad thoughts about you, but he's willing to put himself out there for what he believes is right. I mean, hard for me to sit and look at that and say that it's anything other than admirable. Yeah, not just his colleagues in the NHL too, but he also admitted that there are fa family members of his who are on the other side of this discussion as well. It's very tough, uh, what, but also very brave of what uh, for for what for Nikita to do what he did. And I came away from that scrum with him. It's weird to say amazed, but I I was surprised that it got to that point. But I I commend him for his bravery for for speaking out on something that means so much to him. Uh, and uh, yeah. That's I'm, I'm glad we were able to spend a moment on that. Uh, one other thing before we get to ask CJ, though. Um, did you pay attention at all to the global series, the games in Australia between Los Angeles and Arizona? The Logan Cooley goal uh, that was scored in one of those two games was really sick. But the fact that there were NHL games played in Australia uh, might have been past your bedtime, admittedly. But uh, it was still it seemed as if the fans were having fun. Would love to know your thoughts on that, too. Well, I mean, Australia, one of the great sporting nations in the world. Um, you know, the Cooley goal is what I, I saw replayed about a thousand times. Uh, and for good reason, it was a sick goal. Uh, it was pretty cool, actually, that both teams also took, um, you know, a lot of the regulars. I mean, those were two very NHL-heavy lineups that they played those those two exhibition games for. Um, you know, obviously, the teams are trying to use that as a team-building experience to, to be going that far i think it was 17 time zones or something like that um so there's or 17 hour flight maybe 15 time zones it, you know either way it's going to significantly impact of course those players and the staff flying all the way back and now getting ready for the nhl season but you know interesting experiment i know it's been in the works for a number of years uh, and that there's been an interested uh group down there that, that wanted the nhl to go there i i believe it's going to be not an annual event, but something the league, you know, does maybe every couple of years, uh, you know, plans to, to take more teams down. And I mean, look, the world, the world's smaller and smaller and smaller with each passing year. So it, it sounds a little, it sounds a little nutty in a way, right? Like I don't, I'm not aware of a huge amount of Australian fans. I know that of course there is a league there. I know we've actually got a couple of listeners of this pod from Australia, yes, uh, but it, you know, it, it would seem to me, that the NHL has a ways to go in Europe still, you know, to, to, to build its brand there. And I, look, I know there's global series games. there basically every season. Uh, they're, they're taking four teams to Stockholm in November, uh, the Leafs, the Senators, the Red Wings, and the, the Wild are going there and, and going to play a series of four games. But I still think the league could be doing more to grow kind of its European division before, you know, worrying about other parts of the world. But I mean, Look, I, I do. It just makes sense. I mean, the NFL's in London pretty much every week during the season. It feels like I, I still believe in our lifetime we'll see something that amounts to an NHL European division. 
I realize that's not close today. It's not, you know, it's not something that's happening next week, but I, I think that it, it kind of makes sense that things would expand in that way over time. Um, although there's significant challenges, namely the, the number of arenas, the size of the arenas and the amount of money fans are accustomed to paying for games, not to mention the travel issues. Um, but yeah, good for the NHL. It's, it's, it's interesting. I just I don't know I don't know what the the legacy of something like that is right I mean you, you do it once I mean maybe you make a few fans but how do you how do you keep those fans how do you keep them on the line I mean I think that that's the challenge it, it feels like at times the league goes and plays a couple of games and then leaves for a year and then comes back I think it's hard to it's hard to hard to keep that going but I, I think that the next step I'd love to see the league have like a European office like more of a almost like a, re- a regular presence there not even about expansion I just think. There's so many countries in Europe where hockey is either the first or second or maybe third most popular sport, but like places that, that come to the sport naturally uh, and obviously lots of players over the years and to this day come from those countries. I, I just feel like there's an opportunity to be doing more uh, in Europe before we're worried about, you know, parts of Asia or perhaps Australia. Well, if we were to go to that point, I, I would love to know what city makes sense in terms of setting up an office or even you know, in terms of an expansion team, like, like, do you go for London, but maybe why not the Scandinavian countries? Like maybe you set up something in Stockholm as an example. I would love to know what would be the most ideal place to kind of set up shop if you're the NHL. Well, I mean, the double IHF, you know, the world governing body is out of Zurich. So maybe there, there might be, I mean, to be honest, I'm speaking off the top of my head, so, but there might be some value. But in it's a good close, idea. There might be some value in being close to them. I think London it's always a great place to start. I mean, it might be the world city, the closest thing we have to a world city. Um, and obviously very easy to fly there direct from either New York, Toronto, where, where you're going. Um, and, and then a great jumping off point for Europe. You know, I, that that's, those are the two that jump to mind that there might be a strategic value to being close to the IHF or, you know, I just think you can't go wrong being in London. I actually lived in London, Julian. And, and uh, when I was younger, and I remember one of the parks I would often go to on the weekend, they actually had a baseball setup getting put up in that park. And it was done by Major League Baseball. And basically for like kids of expats or whatever that lived there, you could play. I mean, they don't really have, or at least they didn't at this time when I lived there, a lot of true baseball diamonds, but they basically set up a baseball diamond in a big park. And, you know, and, and obviously the NFL, I mean, I, I think we'll see a team in London, the NFL first, frankly, because in, yeah. in a sport, in a sport where you're only playing one game a week, I think it's it's actually kind of doable travel-wise. Obviously, it's not easy, but the fact that what are they playing eight or nine games there this year? I think uh, they sell them out. Um, yeah, I, I think London London's probably where I'd be inclined to put it, but I, I haven't. <laughs> this this is just us two guys talking that you know, starting with Taylor Swift, ending up on where the NHL's European division should end up. I mean, look, that's the beauty of this show. If we were, if it was just set to the topics that I think we should talk about or you should talk about, it wouldn't be that interesting all the time. It's nice whenever a, like a random idea pops to your head and you go off that. I think that was a really that you the fact that you mentioned uh, just having a presence in another part of the world. I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, and look, the, the, there's great news finally because we our pod has been very clear on where we stand on the best on best and that they've, they've got to get it going back going. You know, based on everything I've heard, that that's, I mean, it's well down the tracks now to getting. You know, everything's on on pace to see the Olympic uh, participation in 2026 in Italy. It sounds like they're gonna, you know, they're gonna have another tournament in 2025. Before that, I don't know if it'll be called a World Cup. Um, there's a, there's a lot of issues. First of all, just timing is becomes an issue to to pull it off on shorter and shorter notice because it isn't locked in just yet. Um, but I think there's been some discussion about having it be like a two-team event or a four-team event or maybe just a smaller version anyway of what we saw in 2016, not, not as many entrants. You know, I think the the Russian participation issue is, I mean, it's sort of obvious at this point in time, you're, you're not having a tournament with Russia in it. Um, but, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of high-profile Russian players. Um, anyway, it does sound like we're going to see international hockey getting back on the docket. So I think it th- one flows from another, right? I mean, it, it it's all about trying to build your brand and to, to find opportunities, frankly, to make money in other parts of the world. Um, because, you know, the, the, the league does do a good job in North America. I mean, there's 32 teams based right across the continent. And, you know, the league is, is growing and growing and growing. But, you know, there, there's limitations to that growth 
in those markets. I think you do have to look elsewhere to try to to find ways to do it. But you know, much easier said than done, just given the cost of staging games on the other side of the globe. All right. Let's do a quick ask CJ before we get out of here, Siege. Uh, we'll start with uh, a question from Congo Red on Discord. What is your favorite hockey broadcaster catchphrase or sign-off? I mean, I'm a Bob Cole guy. You, yeah. you, you know, I still hear Bob Cole in my head. Like, like that's how hockey – that was the soundtrack of hockey when I grew up and, and really into my 20s before Bob – even my 30s before Bob was officially done. So, oh, baby, that uh, – Great Bob Cole. I, I still think of the 2002 gold medal game men's hockey when Joe Sackick. Yes. I love the way that uh, Bob made a call. So I, I, I have to go. There's, there's so many great broadcasters out there. Some of them are my friends nowadays or, and certainly colleagues, but uh, it'll always be Bob Cole for me. Man, uh, there's a lot of, of play-by-play people in the sport I admire. Uh, Chris Cuthbert, I'm a really big fan of him. Uh, hearing him say, did you see that whenever something crazy happens? I love that. Uh, but Gary Thorne, for me, uh, needs to be mentioned in this discussion. Uh, thinking of the times when uh, when he, he called the Colorado Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup and Raymond Bork lifting the cup, uh, the, the 04 uh, Stanley Cup playoffs as well, the 03 playoffs, uh, when he was calling the Ducks uh, – it was oh god why, why am i blanking ducks jersey new jersey series. yeah yes 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 uh sometimes i go on youtube and i look back at some of those clips and how he calls some of those games like steve thomas scoring an overtime goal in that series for me i go back to that like that's just the perfect call for me and maybe it's not easy to pick out one specific catchphrase from him but i have to shout out uh gary thorne but bob cole deserves his flowers as well oh baby like he, oh. he he's got it Baby, I have love to it. mention Bob Cole at all of this. Uh, maybe one day we could do a Mount Rushmore play-by-play commentators. Let's do a question from Meeks. Uh, you can go back 10, 15 years and give younger you an insight about current day hockey. What do you tell them? Hmm. The best is yet to come. I oh, mean, that's, that's too vague. No way. I view the game as way better now than it was 10 or 15 years ago and the individual skill is being i think accentuated more we're seeing Connor mcdavid put up 80s style kind of seasons in terms of the numbers more and more players hitting 15 60 goals and going well over 100 points um seeing players come into the league like Connor bedard like the way he, he shoots the puck you've just never seen anything like it but really the closest thing you saw was austin matthews and i feel like Connor bedard's like the next stage of Austin Matthews almost, uh, the speed of McDavid. I just think the fact that the game is going, I guess if I was going to tell myself what was going to happen, it would be way less reliance on physical intimidation. Still an element of that, even still a place for that. We see it in the playoffs especially, but and way more of a skill component to the, to the sport. And um, yeah, I think it makes sense. I think it's only going to keep going that direction too. I think you're going to see – almost bigger and bigger players enter the league, but, but have the skill of what you might think a smaller player can do. I, I think it's, it's only natural that, that that's how things evolve. And, and um, yeah, so the best is yet to come CJ. Uh, from I built teams on Twitter. Will the Sabres tweak their roster before the opener? Uh, I don't know that they'll do much more than what they have. Uh, you know, obviously they have some roster decisions as all teams do, but, you know, I this isn't really a time of year where we, we see a lot of trades. I mean, the one exception might be in Ottawa where they've got to create some room. Um, but, you know, I think I think the Sabres are kind of set for now entering the year, and, and we'll see where they go. We'll see if maybe at some point Patrick Kane might be interested in coming to play for his hometown team. Um, but, you know, Kane's still targeting a November-December return. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see anything imminent for Buffalo other than, you know, getting the roster down to, to 22, 23 players by opening night and uh, seeing where they're at. Uh, Mark Shag on Twitter. What makes your food take so much better? Well, because I'm not ridiculous like Julian. I, I understand that you can combine good foods and they're still good, like poutine and hot dogs. I know a good chocolate bar when I see one. I have a question for you, CJ. Julian's picky. That's all I'm going to say. Julian... He's pretty picky with his food. I think that that's, I, I that's what stands out. I have a question. You know what? I got two questions for you. How often do you cook, CJ? Intermittently. Okay. 
Uh, when you cook, how, what, what what type of seasoning do you use? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I cook with any seasoning. I mean, pepper. But what is? I'm, but here's I'm the moving thing. on to the next question. I'm moving on to the next question. What is this? I don't. I'm not even sure what you think you just proved. All I'm, I'm not, saying I'm, is, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Julian right, is picky. Ahead. Julian is picky. Go ahead. Julian go is ahead. a picky, picky, picky eater, and that's go ahead. that's go where ahead. his bad food takes come from. I just, I just want, I just want the record to be shown that a man just said I have bad food takes, but he doesn't put any season on his food. This is your king. Anyway, uh, the last thing, the last thing is not a question, uh, but this was just posted on Discord. It literally says, uh, "This is from Five Second Pose." Not a question, but a few years ago, Chris did an event in Stratford to raise money for a friend who was fighting cancer. Uh, she is getting married in two weeks. I think this was put a week ago, so it might be a little less time. Uh, but they just wanted to say thank you. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. I had a great night that night in Stratford. Nice city. It's a nice time. It's a nice town. It's nice. Yeah, we we just drove up and um, John Fitzgerald and I, Kevin Kennedy, who's organized a lot of the puck talk events in Toronto back in the day, was the one who arranged it and and basically went on stage and did a version of puck talks and. You know, obviously being Stratford, being just outside Toronto, there's a lot of Leafs talk heading into that season because it was it was literally about two years ago now or a couple years ago now. It was in the in the fall and uh, it was all to raise money um, for a woman battling cancer. So that's that's great to know. I, I you know, I actually kept in touch with some of the people I met that night. Um, I met I met a woman, an older woman who was full of piss and vinegar, Helen, and, and I would still hear from her from time to time and her granddaughters. So anyway, it was it was a good time. I'm happy to hear that. And uh, this episode was a great time, CJ. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode. We'll have stick taps as well uh, and other fun stuff uh, to uh, talk about on the next edition of the CJ Show. Hope you enjoyed this Taylor Swift edition uh, with other fun stuff, too, uh, for our Monday. Hopefully it starts off your week on a great note. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.